It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff. That's Jim Callis. That's Jonathan Mayo. I'm figuratively pointing at them. We are not together. It's kind of a funny time of the year for us because we just wrapped up what I think is the busiest few weeks of the season with the draft futures game draft signing deadline and the trade deadline. And now we continue that busy period with our mid-season re-rank. But Jim, as, as you commented as we were preparing for this podcast, it's kind of a funny situation because we are extremely busy preparing the re-rank of all 30 team top 30 prospect lists, the top 100 overall, all the position top 10 lists. Uh, We're coming down the stretch of the season, but it didn't seem like we had anything in particular to talk about today, which of course, kind of an inside running joke with us is anytime we're like, what are we going to talk about? How are we going to fill an hour? We end up like going 80 minutes and could have gone twice as long and We have plenty to talk about here today. So one thing we're going to talk about, impact call-ups. Some prospects that we could see in the big leagues uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, Teams that could give themselves a boost with the trade deadline in the rearview mirror. No more deals to be made. No more trades to be made. Um, Teams can get a little uh, boost down the stretch from their farm systems. We'll talk about some guys who could see some time. In the big leagues, uh, particularly with teams that are in a postseason situation, we are going to take a look at the four most recent additions to the top 100 prospects list. We've been so busy with draft, futures game, deadlines that we haven't really talked about some of the newest additions to the list. So we're going to do that. And uh, then we're going to dig into the very top of the list right now and just kind of talk over the top five to ten prospects I'm going to ask Jim and Jonathan Jonathan some questions about these guys. Bit of a mailbag of my own. And we'll wrap up with the mailbag, as we always do. Jim, Jonathan, thanks for coming up for air while you are hurriedly preparing the midseason re-rank. How's that going for you guys? It's coming along. It's going. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, so we should tell everyone, since it's the most common question this time of year, those lists, the mid-ish season re-rank, will be out next week. Again, all 30 top 30 lists, top 100, position top 10 lists, all coming your way. Next week, they'll be out, which uh, they will include the recent draftees. In a handful of occasions uh, per team, you'll see guys who have sort of played their way Onto the list. What what do we say generally, guys? Three to four draftees and three to four guys who have sort of played their way onto the list. Yeah, that feels about right. Yeah, I think it, it's funny because I was trying to figure out the why, and the, you know, I don't want to get too much sort of behind the the scenes. But as we've talked about over the course of the year, like early on, you guys remember, I got hammered with replacements on my teams. It felt like every replacement was mine. Now the grass greener on the other side or whatever 
you know, euphemism you want to use there. Um, I have very few non-drafty additions as a result of all those guys I added uh, over time. So at least there's that. You got yours out of the way throughout the season. I, I, evidently. And, and I didn't even realize it until I, as I was, you know, I'm, you know, we're all kind of prepping our lists and things like that. And I'm like, I am not adding that many uh, non-draft names. So I'm, I'm happy for it. So if we say three to four draftees per team, we're looking at approximately 100 players from the draft class being added to the to the 30 list. Yeah, probably 110. Something like that. I, I know I counted mine up because I'm start, I did, I'm writing blurbs on my drafted guys first, and my 10 teams had 37 draftees. You know, one or two of those guys might change, but so 37 uh, for mine. So that's yeah, approximately. Yeah, you know, that would be 111 if we extrapolated. I don't. I don't know how how many Jonathan or Sam have. Well, I'm going to make sure it's exactly that amount now. 37 each. That's all mm-hmm. you're allowed. No more, no less. Okay, let's uh, dig into our first topic here. We want to look ahead a bit at some top prospects who we could see in the big leagues down the stretch. Uh, And, uh, well, why don't we start right at the very top of the list? Because uh, the player who is currently the number one overall prospect in baseball, do you guys think we will see Francisco Alvarez in Flushing, Queens, New York? (laughs) In August. Give it the city field's mailing uh, address there. I'm going to say no. I, I mean, you can make a case, you know, Thomas, Tomas Nito is not producing a lot offensively behind the plate for them at all. James McCann has been mostly hurt and not productive. The Mets catchers are hitting right around the Mendoza line. But at the same time, as good as he is, Francisco Alvarez is hitting 192, albeit with power, with walks and AAA. The catching's still work in progress. So I'm going to say no in August. I'll leave open the possibility of September, but I think it would be more of a – it feels like it would be more of a DH role, and they've got that kind of locked up right now with, with Darren Ruff and, and Daniel Vogelbach than it would be, oh, we're going to make him a regular catcher because I don't think the catching is that smooth yet. So I'm going to say no in August – and I'm starting to to lean toward probably not in September, though it is it is fun to talk about. Yeah, I, I think I, I largely agree, and and that if they do call him up, it would be that you know he could DH, maybe he catches a little bit, he pinch hits, but what happens in AAA over the next couple of weeks could you know help determine that. If he's still really scuffling with the bat, I don't think they want to call up a a 20 year old and sort of risk damaging the psyche even more not to mention like well will he just be completely overmatched but if he gets hot for a couple weeks i could see them saying all right let's see if we can ride that hot bat and try to figure him into that dh mix a little bit maybe throw him behind the plate every once in a while uh if if need be but i'm leaning more towards them waiting to 2023 and you know maybe he heads into spring training with a chance to to win a job then yeah you talk about that dh role Vogelbach, and then you've got Ruff from the right side. Ruff has a sub-700 OPS this year. But they traded for him for a reason. I mean, they didn't trade for him to give him 11 at-bats in New York or whatever he has now. 
and then pull the plug. I, I think they think he's going to do more than that. So, yeah. Um, but if you get a, if you get a few weeks into that experiment, and like Jonathan said, Alvarez is scorching a triple A, then you maybe have maybe your yeah hand forced a bit there. Okay. Uh, moving on down the list, Taj Bradley, Curtis Mead, a couple of Rays. Do you see either or both of them appearing with Tampa Bay this season? You know, I, I think arguments could be made for either of them, uh, even though neither of them have been, you know, lights out in AAA since they got there. If I were to pick one of the two, I think I would lean towards Taj Bradley. I think you could shorten him up and have him kind of contribute in a bullpen role. The Rays have certainly not shied away from from doing that in the past. And, you know, I think he, he could be electric out of the bullpen, get his, his feet wet, you know, and then obviously a long term, he's a starter, no doubt. But if, of the two now, I think the argument for Curtis Mead is that he does play multiple positions. You can move him around. You could use the DH spot if, if you wanted to. But, uh, you know, I think you're more likely to want some pitching help down the stretch. And I think Taj Bradley, you know, whether it's a Listen, you could make him a setup guy if you wanted to, you know, but it could be, he could be a multi-inning reliever if you needed him to make a spot start. Uh, you know, I, I think there'd be more value added by bringing Taj Bradley up. Uh, and I think that he's the one who I think he's of the two, Jim, more likely to to get a chance to see Tampa this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I also think that if, if Bradley comes up, why not put him in the rotation? You know, he hasn't pitched a ton of innings. You know, his ERA is 5.25 in Durham, but that's based on 12 innings. He just got there. He struck out 16. He's walked three guys. He's continuing to miss bats and pound the strike zone. Nobody ever has enough starting pitching. Um, I, I could see him being a guy where you kind of manage his innings now and have him give your the back of your rotation a boost coming down the stretch. And, and, and as much as I like Curtis Mead, I, I think you described that situation pretty accurately with him, Jonathan. And you know, while he plays a variety of positions, he doesn't really play them well. So it's not like he's this jack of all trades that you could plug him into four or five spots in the lineup. Like you're taking a defensive hit at whatever position you put him at as well. So, you know, again, they've, they've rotated guys in and out of the DH spot, you know, maybe, you know, like you kind of suggested with Francisco Alvarez, if Curtis Mead, you know, is really scorching, and Durham, and he's not playing bad there. He's only hitting 250, but he's he's hitting for power. He's drawing walks as well. You know, maybe he's an option at, you know, DH. But, like, unfortunately, I, I just think he's limited defensively. I mean, he might be a first baseman in the long run. He's a really good hitter. But you just, you'd be taking a hit. And I think bouncing him around among different positions would also not be bringing the most out of his defense. So my guess is... We probably don't see him, but I, I, if I had of these three guys we've discussed, I feel like Taj Bradley is the most likely, and I actually feel like you're given, you know, it's the Rays. They've been a perennial playoff team. They've been close, but they've never won a championship. I, I think we're going to see Taj Bradley. I, I think Taj Bradley can be a weapon, whether it's in the rotation, whether it's a, a multi-inning reliever in the postseason. So I, I'm going to count on seeing Taj Bradley wow. before the end of the season. Bold. The uh, Rays. Currently, uh, one of the wild card teams, and a pretty decent race there. So that could certainly uh, come down to the wire, and could see Taj Bradley after what would only be a handful of AAA starts pitching in a pennant race. Uh, Curtis Mead will have to 
also kind of monitor his recovery from his right elbow strain, which has had him out since July 23rd, was expected to be out two to three weeks. We're right around the right around that time period now. So that could also factor in and could potentially limit what he does. Maybe that DH spot is is more would be more reasonable with the elbow strain. Right. There. So we've talked about a couple of contenders, the Mets and Rays, the Yankees. Can you make a case for New York calling up Anthony Volpe? Maybe Oswald Peraza? I think you could. I mean, I don't necessarily think they're going to. I mean, their shortstop right now is Isaiah Kiner Falifa, who is playing good defense, hitting 270, but it's a very soft 270. Um, you know, I, I think they're fine with what they've been getting out of him. You know, they, they basically wanted a huge defensive upgrade on what they were getting out of shortstop last year with Glaber Torres. He's given them that. He's been decent, nothing special, but you know, decent offensively. You know, he's he's held his own, I guess. He hasn't been awful. Um, but you know, it's funny. You know, beginning of the year, we got so much grief. You know, why are you guys so high on Anthony Volpe? He's off to slow start after he had a a huge 2021. He was our, our pipeline hitting prospect of the year. And he hit 197 in April and 207 in May with, you know, striking out more than he did last year. And because of that, I think his overall numbers, you know, he's up to 247 right now, 16 homers, 37 steals. But the last two months, you know, June, July, beginning of August, he's walked all as much as, much as he struck out. He's hit 11 home runs. He's hitting close to 300. He's pretty much been the guy we thought he was and the guy he was last year. Um, I don't think they're necessarily going to jump him from double A, but I, but I think you could make the case that they might be a better team. Now, you know, granted, you know, he's got to acclimate to the big leagues. He's not as good defensively as Isaiah Connor Falifa. So I don't think they're going to do it. It would be a really bold move. Um, you know, they're fighting for home field advantage and, and, and the number one seed in the American league with, with the Astros. So I don't think they're going to do it, but I think you could make a case that they, that they should, you know, Peraza similarly got off to a little bit of a slow start. He's having a, you know, a good, not great year. He's not tearing up triple a, but he does have 15 homers, 26 steals. He's a good defender as well. You know, I think you could make the case that he'd give you more offensively and be at least as good, you know, maybe not better, but as good defensively as Connor Falifa. But again, I think when you factor in the, acclimating, you know, the, the acclimation period to the big leagues and doing that in New York in the middle of a World Series or bus season would probably be asking a lot of those guys. So I, I don't think we'll see them, you know, but the interesting question probably next year will be at what point the Yankees, you know, try to install one of them at shortstop. Yeah, I think that's more of a next year kind of question also. It's interesting with Peraza because I think there are a lot of people who expected him to be dangled or traded uh at the deadline and you know kudos to the the yankees for being able to to make trades and hold on to peraza at the same time uh so the fact that we're even discussing his possible call up to new york i think probably surprised a few folks if you guys are in charge you're running things for the yankees do you go ahead and bump volpe up to triple a now so that you're if you do decide you want to call him up. You're not double jumping him from double A, or does that not matter? Well, I'm not so much worried about the double jump. I, I could see where you'd say 
He's one of the best prospects in baseball. He might be ready next year. Let's get AAA started. He's hit well in AA for the last two months. The problem if you call him up to AAA is who plays shortstop. You got Volpe, you got Cabrera. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to timeshare shortstop. And I think ideally you'd like both of them to begin their reps at shortstop. Although you could make a case like, I, I just think, you know, if they bring Connor Felifa back next year, you know, Cabrera is a better shortstop than Volpe. Volpe might be a second baseman in the long term. Um, you know, he's definitely going to be better than Glaber Torres defensively. Um, but, you know, neither Torres nor I think Connor Felifa. I think Connor Felifa has two more years before he's a free agent. And I think, or I'm sorry, I think he's got one more year after this one. And I think Torres might have two more years after this one before they're free agent. So you're going to have a log jam. But if you if you promote Volpe to AAA, then neither Volpe nor Cabrera can really play shortstop. Yeah, I just want to assure uh, our listeners that Jim hasn't uh, manufactured a new shortstop out of thin air. You, you, yeah, I keep, it, I keep saying yes. Cabrera. I mean Cabrera Peraza. instead of Peraza. Cabrera is also in AAA, which is what confuses me. Right, so, right. So, yes, I mean all this time, every time he says Cabrera, he means Peraza. I haven't said he means yet today, though. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was. But I yeah, was, Oswald uh, Peraza is who I meant. I keep yeah. calling him Cabrera. Okay. Um, any other guys um, that you guys have your eyes on that you think could make an impact down the stretch? In terms of the pennant race, a couple arms on a couple of pretty good teams. I could see Hunter Brown with the Astros, and I could see Ryan Pepio, who has been up this year with the Dodgers, both being guys who whether it's as a, a reinforcement for the rotation or a multi-inning reliever, you know, those multi-inning relievers especially become important in the postseason. Uh, I, I, I think those guys, we will see them before the end of the year. And I think both those teams will, will deploy them aggressively in the postseason. So those are, are probably two. There aren't a lot of obvious guys who haven't already been called up to contenders out there. Am I missing anybody, Jonathan? I don't think so. I was going to ask you, could, would the Dodgers consider calling up Michael Bush as like a bat off the bench? I mean, maybe, but the problem is that roster is so deep. Yeah. I just, you know, like they've got Vargas up there too. I mean, like you might call him up in September and obviously September roster expansion isn't what it used to be. But if you call Michael Bush, I, I don't know where he plays. Like, right. like where you would get him at bats. I mean, maybe... You know, at DH, I think right now they're going with a with a twelve hitter lineup. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, Trace Thompson, I guess, has been been somewhat productive. So like, yeah, maybe you squeeze him in at DH. You know, they just had Miguel Vargas up for a couple of games and sent him back down. Kind of the same thing, but I think they're kind of in that quandary, at least until September. I, I don't know if they're going to call anybody up if they don't think they're going to have at bats for him. I mean, and Vargas was kind of just up. Because Justin Turner went on the I.L. And they acquired Joey Gallo, and who knows how that'll go. They actually have 13 hitters on their roster. I miss Joey Gallo. But, uh, you know, unless they pull the plug on Joey Gallo or, or Max Muncy's had a weird year, they, they don't really have at-bats for those guys. And in the case of Pepio, I think he's a contender to, to fill the spot of Clayton Kershaw now, right? That's right. Yeah, with, I wasn't even thinking about recent events, but with Kershaw going on the I.L., they just traded Mitch White. Like he would be an obvious replacement, uh, right there. We we need we need them to hold off on calling Ryan Pepio up until we do our impact call up story, so I can still include Ryan Pepio. <laughs> Put a word in. Yes, that kind of yeah. You have that kind of pull with the Dodgers. Although no, I would just pivot. I'm, 
I mean, the, the other secret weapon they have, and he's, he's, he's in double A, but he has just crazy stuff. And we saw him in the futures game would be Bobby Miller. You know, Bobby Miller is the type of guy that you could call up and you know, his control can waver at times. I mean, so can Pepio's. That'll be my pivot. If, if the Dodgers beat our story by promoting Pepio before we can write the story, I will pivot to Bobby Miller. And Bobby Miller is another interesting one. You know, as we saw in the Futures game, I mean, the, the stuff is pretty sick. All right. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to break down some of the new additions to the top 100 prospects list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff, and we are going to talk about some of the most recent additions to our top 100 prospects list. This list will stay intact uh, for the most part, barring graduations over the next week before it gets reshuffled in the mid-season re-rank. We will remind all of you again, in case you missed it earlier in this episode, the new rankings will be coming out next week. Stay tuned. But for now, uh, looking at the Uh, End of the top 100 prospects list over the past couple of weeks, we have added four players. Cardinals right-hander Gordon Graceffo, D-backs right-hander Brandon Fatt, that's P-F-A-A-D-T, in case you're not familiar with that name, you might not guess that's how it's spelled. And then we have Braves shortstop Vaughn Grissom and Guardians catcher Bo Naylor, who uh, by being added gave the Guardians added on to their already MLB high number of top 100 prospects. Bo Naylor gives them nine. Uh, let's start with Graceffo, 22-year-old right-hander, Jonathan, a fifth-round pick last year. And I remember earlier in the season, there was some consideration to, to adding him on. And I, I want to say, uh, Jim, you said something to the effect of, you know, fifth rounder last year let's let him prove himself a little bit more he had gotten off to an exceptional start to this season uh, at Peoria was uh, had a 0.99 ERA over eight starts bumped up to Springfield hasn't been nearly as good there but uh, I guess has done enough to give you the proof that you were looking for to add him to the top 100 you know he's maintained a seven to one strikeout to walk ratio 
He's maintained mid to upper 90s fastball. You know, he, he's, he's held the stuff over the full season and has continued to pound the strike zone. So, um, you know, we knew he had a good arm, but I'll always be a little cautious on a guy who doesn't have, you know, that huge, it's weird. And this would be a whole nother discussion is the guys who don't have a huge pedigree. How often do you jump on board, you know, for say the top 100, you know, and the flip side is, you know, how, how quickly do you jump off a guy with pedigree who starts to not perform? Jim, you were you were not allowed to comment on Graceffo. Well, yeah, well you you were you were maligning the rules, so I felt yeah. like I had to, <laughs> he I felt had to respond. He was backed into a corner. I mean, I, I think in addition to that, though, I, I, are we at a point now that if the Cardinals take a college pitcher, you know, in that like fifth, sixth round, we just assume that he's going to be better than anyone expected? I, I feel that they do such a good job uh, of identifying those kinds of pitchers and then helping them become big leaguers and. You know, Graceffo, you know, went to Villanova. I mean, it's not like he came from a huge college baseball program, but had been always been a good strike thrower. And then, you know, after the shutdown and heading into 2021, uh, took, you know, conditioning and working out particularly seriously, added a lot of strength, started throwing harder. That landed him on the radar. And that trajectory has continued upward. And he's got, you know, he's a legitimate four-pitch mix. You know, he's sitting... He can sit in the mid-90s with the fastball. He throws strikes with all four of his pitches. So, I mean, and the fact that, you know, as Jim pointed out, that even with the jump to double A and maybe some of the numbers aren't as pretty, the stuff is, is has held up. And he's done that all without walking, you know, anybody. He's only walked one and a half per nine since he got to to Springfield. So he hasn't, you know, tried to do too much, you know, or, uh, you know, you know, if he's amped up because he's in double A and trying to prove himself that he stayed within his game. I think, I think the numbers are going to start to reflect that just because the the stuff is really good. I mean, this is a guy who's going to be a mid rotation starter and probably some point next year, maybe you'll see him in St. Louis if there's a need. Okay. He is currently at number 97 and at number 98 on the list, another right-hander, uh, 23 years old, Brandon Fat of the D-backs, who similarly was a fifth-rounder, but in 2020, Jim. Yeah, you know, he was he was on our radar, Division II, Bellarmine, Kentucky. Um, he'd pitched very well in summer ball in the Northwoods League and Cape, Cape Cod League against, uh, you know, higher competition. I do think if we had a normal 2020 season, he might have pitched his way even higher than the fifth round. He just didn't get much opportunity, like like most of the pitchers that season. He got four starts, and that was it. And he's always had good stuff. It's, he, in college, he was a heavy sinker, solid breaking ball uh, kind of combination guy. Um, he's he, he's at, I don't I know we now have him throwing both two seamers and four seamers. He still has the heavy sinker to 95. The four seamer gets up to 97. He gets a lot of ground balls. Um, you know, depending on who you talk to, change up is probably his best secondary pitch. You know, he's got a slider and a curve. They blend together a little bit at times. Um, but he throws a lot of strikes. He misses a lot of bats. You know, he doesn't have the most glittering ERA in double A. Um, but you know, he's missed a lot of bats. His strikeout to walk ratio, like Graceffo's, is close to seven to one. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 
like he's, he, I think he just got promoted to triple a and he's, he's made one start there and, uh, and pitched pretty well, um, for Reno, which is a not the easiest place to pitch. Um, but yeah, you know, Brandon fat has moved, you know, very quickly, uh, you know, less than two, you know, basically two years after he's drafted, he's, he's knocking on the door to the big leagues. Jonathan, I wanted to go back to your comment on, uh, Cardinals later round college picks. And I think maybe you were referring to strictly pitchers, but going back to 2015, let's say, Ryan Helsley, uh, fifth round pick out of Northeastern State, also Paul DeYoung, a fourth round pick out of Illinois State, 2016, not a pitcher, but Tommy Edmond, Andrew Kisner, both college picks in the sixth and seventh round, uh, pitcher in the third round, Zach Gallen, 2018. I don't, I don't think they have anybody that really fits the bill from 2017. 2018, another hitter, a couple of hitters in the seventh and eighth round, Brendan Donovan, Lars Newtbar, all fitting the bill of these kind of third through seventh round college picks. I'm relieved. I was a little, I sort of set you up to extol the virtues of your St. Louis Cardinals and you've initially passed, but you, you were just arming yourself with more information. So I feel a little bit better. Exactly. Okay. Uh, number 99 on the list is a shortstop uh, for the Atlanta Braves, currently at the AA level, Vaughn Grissom. What do we know about Vaughn? Well, quick quiz without uh, assuming neither of you looking. Do you know who Vaughn Grissom's perhaps more famous high school teammate was? I do. It's Riley Green. Yeah. Read your yeah. report. Yeah, I saw last that week too easy. When I was working on <laughs> ranking the top 100. So. Ah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I played high school ball with uh, with Riley Green and obviously got seen a lot. But kudos to the Braves who got him in the 11th round and you know signed him for about $350,000. So they went over slot, but not like horrifically over slot. And uh, he, he's kind of always hit since, uh, you know, since he entered pro ball uh you know last year had a really good year uh across two levels of, of a ball really mostly in in low a but you know had an 882 ops for the year and i'm focusing on the offense because that's where it you know it stands out in this series went from high a to double a he's hit better since he's been in double a uh again an 890 ops he's got 14 homers and 27 steals he doesn't strike out he draws walks i mean he's gonna hit and i think the only question is where he ends up defensively long term. Uh, it's unclear whether or not he can play shortstop every day, but that's where he's been playing mostly. He's got more than enough arm, so you know he's played a little bit of second. I think third base is probably the best spot for him. Um, he's very comfortable on the on the left side, uh, but you know, it, it, some of it may depend on. On how teams want to align their defenses, you know he he, he can catch the ball. It's just a, it's not the kind of smooth actions you you want to see from from a really good shortstop. And uh, you know with Dansby Swanson in Atlanta anyway, his first opportunity probably wouldn't be at second. So the fact that he can play all three infield positions will probably help him because I think his bat is going to have him knocking on the door at some point next year. Uh, but uh, this is a guy who is uh, starting to impact the ball more and more. And I, you know, I think he's really going to hit, and they'll they'll find a place for him. And he's not a bad defender. It's just that it may be that he's either a super utility guy or 
Uh, I, like I said, I think the hot corner might be the best place, and it looks like the bat might might play there. He hit 319 with a 418 on-base percentage and a 464 slugging percentage last year for 882 OPS. That's 319, 418, 464, and this year, 319, 402, 488 for an 890 OPS. Pretty consistent across the board there, and he's been just fantastic in uh, 21 games at Mississippi where he's at 345, 394, and 494. Uh, so an impressive start at AA there. So we've our latest additions uh, that we've talked about here so far, Graceffo, Fat, Grissom, fifth round, fifth round, 11th round in the draft system, later round picks. Uh, but the most recent addition to the top 100 is a former first round pick, and that is Bo Naylor of Cleveland and uh, a name that obviously baseball fans are familiar with and uh, may, may get even more familiar with down the road. Yeah, and I, I kind of held off on discussing him for potential call-ups when we were doing that because I knew we were going to get to him in this segment. But maybe the Indi- – the I almost did it there. I caught myself. The Guardians. Maybe the Guardians <laughs> yeah, should get 12,500. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, no, I only did one syllable, so I think okay, it should well, be 8,300. But um, Fine. And, and, but uh, I was going to say, you know, Austin Hedges is, is kind of having another Austin Hedges year where he's playing good defense and not hitting, and Luke Maley's kind of a journalism a – journalism. <laughs> journeyman backup. Yeah, journal, a journalism journalism backup. major. I need a journalism <laughs> backup impressive. right now. A journeyman Mac backup. Uh, and Luke Maley and Bo Naylor is having a great all around season. And what's funny about him, you know, as you were mentioning, Jason, he's got more pedigree. He was a first round pick. He and his older brother, Josh, the first Canadian siblings ever taken in the first round. Uh, and his career has just been mystified to figure out. So when he was drafted, he was considered one of the best high school hitters available in 2018. There's questions, you know, where's he going to play defensively? You know, he was really raw as a catcher. You want to maximize his 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 offensive value by playing in a less demanding spot, and the Guardians decided, no, we're going to make him a catcher. So he came out in his first full season, two thousand nineteen, in, in Low A in the Midwest League, which is a tough place to hit. He had a decent offensive season, uh, you know, but really, really, like stood out, like wow, this guy's a better catcher than than most people thought he was going to be. Then the pandemic comes, he doesn't play. He goes, he makes a jump from Low A in nineteen to Double A in twenty one. And he was frankly terrible offensively last year in double A. He hit 188. He had a 31% strikeout rate. He never really got going at the plate. He continued to play good defense. And, and it looked like, okay, this guy can catch, but we don't know if he can hit. And then this year he's flipped it back around. He's hitting 276. He's got an ops of 930. He's got 13 homers. He's got 15 steals. He's pretty athletic for a catcher. He's actually hitting better in AAA. He's been up there for about six weeks, and he's continuing to produce in AAA. Um, and you know, maybe the Guardians should look at, at giving Bo Naylor some time behind the plate, maybe ease him in, and if that goes well, give him the starting job because they're a game. I think as we record this, a game out of the American League Central lead. They're in the wild card hunt, and, and Bo Naylor could be an upgrade for them. Am I right that there's a Another nailer there is. on the way who could potentially be the best of the nailer brothers. I mean that's they always say oh, that about oh. the young <laughs> Well, he doesn't he doesn't catch or pretend to catch, so if we don't have to go through the you know, all the you know, machinations that we have for both of the nailers, like, well, can he stay behind the plate? Will he stay behind the plate? Um, you know. But uh 
from what I've heard, and it's not much because obviously so early talking to Canadian scouts, he's, he is very good. What it may do is give the Naylor family three first round picks, which is, you know, not, not something that you see, uh, very often. Can you name the only family with three first round picks? The Drews. There you go. Can you name all, all three Drews? Stephen, Tim, JD. Very nice. Okay, that's a look at the most recent additions to the top 100 prospect list, the bottom of it. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to look at the top of the top 100 prospects list. We're going to break down yeah, five or ten of the, the top guys. Got some questions for Jim and Jonathan here. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We have talked about uh, the latest four additions to the top 100 prospects list. So those are the guys at the bottom of the list. And now we want to focus on the guys at the top of the list. And another reminder, in case you missed the first two, uh, we get this question off. I think it's worth answering three times in one podcast episode. <laughs> the new lists, midseason rankings with the draftees added to them, will be out next week. That is uh, the week of August 15th. The new list will be out. Uh, as the list stands now, at the top of it, we've discussed uh, number one, Francisco Alvarez talked about him a little bit earlier. Number two is Corbin Carroll of the D-backs. Number three, Grayson Rodriguez. A uh, pair of Orioles, three and four, Grayson Rodriguez, right-hander and Gunnar Henderson, infielder. Then we have Gabriel Marino of the Blue Jays, Jordan Walker of the Cardinals, Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, Marco Luciano of the Giants, Marcelo Meyer of the Red Sox, and Daniel Espino of the Guardians. Uh, guys, we, we, as I mentioned, talked about uh, Francisco Alvarez uh, a little bit at the top uh, in terms of a guy who could be called up down the stretch. My question for you is... Is he the legit number one prospect in baseball? I guess we'll find out next week when the re-rankings come out. You don't have to answer this too specifically. I, and I think you guys at this point don't even have the top 100 order ironed out. So maybe you can't even answer that question that specifically right now. But Jim, you mentioned he's only hitting 192 in 21 games at AAA at Syracuse. But with 
an 810 OPS. Um, and he's 20 years old. I mean, I, I was I was more bringing that up in regards to whether you bring him up to the big leagues. I mean, he's 20 yeah, years and, old, so I'm not holding it against him. Yeah, and he got off he got off to a slow start, little adjustment. Uh, but he's reached in 15 straight, and he's hit five homers in his past 12 games. Is he baseball's number one prospect, or did he just kind of back into that position due to graduations and the way the updating of the the timing of the updating of the lists work? A couple of top prospect lists have come out recently, and he's not been at the top of those. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's all kind of a matter of taste. We talked about this with the draft list. We've talked about it with the top 100 at the beginning of the year when we had Adley Rutschman and Bobby Wood Jr. and Julio Rodriguez. It was kind of you know embarrassment of riches. I, I think he's a legitimate number one prospect. I mean, we do a couple times during the season shift, even though we didn't overhaul the whole thing, shift the the top 15 around we did update the top 15 twice to this point but i think it's just a matter of taste you know do you want to go with francisco alvarez who i'm not putting him in the hall of fame but i mean he is a mets catcher it could be like a mike piazza type of catcher you know like huge offensive upside and and the defense is is okay um you know he's not going to win any gold gloves or do you want to go with corbin carroll who you know, as a center fielder who's got more power than we thought he had coming out of the draft and, you know, can do a lot of different things? Or do you want to go with Gunnar Henderson, who, you know, maybe he's a shortstop, maybe he's a third baseman. He definitely can play on the dirt. And he's a pretty tremendous young player, too. So I I, I think, for, I, like, I will answer the question. Yes, I think Francisco Alvarez is a legitimate number one overall prospect. But I think you can also make cases for other players as well. And I feel like that's usually the situation at the top of the top 100. Yeah, and I think it's those three players you mentioned would be the ones that I would most con- likely consider. Alvarez, Carroll, and Henderson. Uh, and maybe it's unfair to not consider Grayson Rodriguez, but he's been hurt. So it makes it a little tougher in terms of his being so young and so dominant, uh, you know, at... Uh, triple a you know but i i think those would be the three guys and for me i do think that alvarez is the is the is the number one prospect and and not just because he's there with graduations uh i think uh maybe the defense is never going to wow people but he can stay behind the plate and that offensive profile behind the plate gives him a little bit of a of an edge you know at least at least for the right now i think he's he he he's the guy that i would vote for okay uh, now you've sort of stolen my questions for a couple of the next oops few guys. That's okay. Um, but you you touched on Corbin Carroll. Uh, he's absolutely raking at Reno AAA at the age of twenty one, three ten four thirty eight five sixty three line for a one point zero zero one OPS. Any guesses as to the only other ranked prospect in full season baseball who has a higher OPS this season than Corbin Carroll. I'm going to guess you don't know. I feel like. Oh well, no, I I was. Oh, now Jim. No, I I realized that I don't have this guy ranked yet. I I know a guy who's having a crazy good year, but he's not ranked as of yet because he was. uh, So wait, ranked in the top 100 or ranked? I think it must be a top 900, top 30 30 guy. Ranked in a team's top 30. Uh, Oh, you know what? I'll go ahead and. Well, no, you know it's funny. I was looking at my stat leaders this morning. And Nico Cavadas, I think, is leading the minors in ops, but he's not on the Red Sox top thirty right now, which which he will be when we update. Um, 
I'll guess Moises Gomez. How about Moises Gomez? Not Moises Gomez. I'm going to guess... Um, full season. Uh, James, James Wood. No. Uh, this is a team's number 21 prospect. Um, double A... I'm sorry, uh, high A for the duration of the season so far. Uh, hit 349, 440, 605 last year in his pro debut, uh, over 1,000 OPS. So he did it uh, hmm. last year out of the draft, second rounder. Uh, second rounder. Whose team is this? Who, who, who what, does this what, top uh, Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a, a tricky thing. You're going to tell his position? Uh, it's not uh, one of your teams. First uh, base. Oh, Kyle Manzardo. Uh, Kyle Manzardo, yeah. There, there you go. go. There you go. The only other, the only other player uh, among all ranked prospects with an OPS higher than that. I, w- of- I would like until to next say, week. Nico Cavadas will will jump yes. into that. I, I will like to say, for the record, I was on the Kyle Manzardo train. We have to go back. I don't know if I ever talked about it in the podcast, but I, I feel like I did talk to, about him as a later round pick who was very intriguing. He he can really hit. Yeah. Well. He's proven that so far. Yeah. Now, Corbin Carroll, uh, I think both of you mentioned him having a legitimate claim to number one overall. And I think one of the lists that came out recently, either Baseball America or Keith Law's list, has him at number one. Um, how much consideration is he getting? Like, what would it take for him to unseat? Alvarez at this point with Alvarez already being there and not really doing anything to really relinquish that spot would would it just would it be a matter of you get so much feedback from everyone you talk to that hey this guy is the real deal and he is the best prospect in baseball you'd have to just get an overwhelming amount of response while you're talking to people for this re-rank yeah I, I mean I think I think that would be it and I, I don't I'm not expecting that to to happen but I, I do think that uh, and a very good case could be made for for Corbin Carroll to be the number one prospect, and I don't, I, I wouldn't be upset if he, you know, landed one and Alvarez was two, or you know, he was three and you know anything like that. So I do think that, um, you know, there's, like I said, I mean, with what he's done this year at such a young age. You, you could make a very, very good argument. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to get a bunch of – it's just like when we had Witt and Rutschman and, and Rodriguez. I, th- I think it, it's, it's a similar type of argument. It's just a matter of taste. Like, I, I think you could make the case for any of those guys. If, if somebody wanted to say that Corbin Carroll is going to be the best hitter of those three and he might be a 30-30 guy – you know, I I think you can make that argument, but um, it's just a matter. Like for me personally, I would vote for Cisco Alvarez because I think it's harder to find that kind of offensive package in a guy who can stay a catcher, even if I don't think he's going to be a standout standout defender. So I, I'm looking at scarcity of value. I mean, I also voted for Adley Rutschman over Bobby Wood Jr. and, and Julio Rodriguez at the beginning of the season, kind of for the same the same reason, but. Um, I, I, I take no offense to, to somebody making an argument for Corbin Carroll or, or, or Gunnar Henderson. 
All right. Number three on the list is the one player in our top four that you've not really mentioned in regard to potentially being the number one overall prospect. Jonathan said maybe that's unfair because he's been injured. So he has been out for a while. Reports are that he's resumed throwing uh, with hopes of reaching the big leagues this season. So my question for you is, do we see him in Baltimore this year? I will say no. I, I don't see what the point of doing that. No, would be. I would agree with that. I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily, to be honest, I, I wouldn't even try to ramp him up to get him to pitch in, in the minor leagues. Like, I, I just, I, I don't see the upside in that. Um, fall league. Well, I guess what I would be doing, and maybe this is selfish because I want fall to see league. him in there. Fall league. Fall but like, league. Well, how about just bring him back in the fall league instead of there rushing him back in August and September, gear him up for the fall league. Um that's that's what I would do. So I'd, I'd be shocked if we saw him in the in the big leagues this year. That I, I don't know why you would would rush that. Although I mean, what are the Orioles like? Two games out of a wild card now. One, I was going to say, but he hasn't pitched um, in so long either. No, so I, I, it, it, he'd have to get he'd have to get back sooner than I think anticipated and be completely ramped up because the the worst thing you want to do, uh, especially with, you know, with an injury like that, I, you know, I don't I don't think you want to rush him back and then put him in that kind of high leverage situation. Like I could see some value if the timeline worked out that, Hey, look, you've worked really hard. You're healthy. And he gets, you know, one start in triple a, you know, two, three innings, you know, but there's no real need to do that. And I think, and again, yes, there are, there are selfish motives because who wouldn't want to see him in the fall league, but I like the idea of them letting him, sort of take his time and, you know, the reward for the hard work to, to get back in a lot of ways ahead of schedule would be go and compete in the fall league. And there's a rotation spot waiting for you, uh, you know, to compete for in the spring. And no real consideration here for the number one overall spot for you guys. I think it'd be hard to put an injured pitcher on the list. And I would lean, I'm not afraid to rank pitchers, but I would lean hitter over pitcher normally and I, it, it just would be hard for me to say the number one prospect in baseball is a pitcher who's been out for two months with a lat injury. Yeah, as good you as know, you, as good as he is. You guys know the last time we had a pitcher ranked number one. Well, you know what, Shohei Otani. Uh, yeah, yeah. What about just what about just a pitcher? Was it Matt Moore Matt or Strasburg? Yeah, Matt Moore. It was Matt Moore. It's yeah. been ten years. Wow. I mean, listen, if, well, listen, if great, if Grayson Rodriguez had stayed healthy, he may have graduated, like he may have been in the big leagues already and, uh, you know, be close to graduating. But let's just say for whatever reason, he was healthy all year and doing what he was doing in AAA. I, I think we would have a, a slightly different conversation and, and he would get more, more internal buzz for that top spot. Okay. The other guys, the other guy you've mentioned uh, with regard to consideration for the number one overall spot, Gunnar Henderson. Here's a player who was not on the top 100 list last year, debuted at number 64 on our preseason list. And is he the, is he kind of the Anthony Volpe of 2022 to you guys? In term, just, just Maybe in terms a little, of just just the way he skyrocketed up. The, the difference with, with the two of those guys was, you know, and they both were affected by the pandemic layoff. They didn't get to play. They both came out of, of the same draft. Is 
I don't remember where we had him ranked, but I know I liked Gunnar Henderson more than I liked Anthony Volpe in that draft, even though it was Volpe who went in the first round and Henderson who went in the second round. You know, we, we've talked about this a lot with Volpe. I thought Volpe was a highly skilled player. Didn't really think he was going to stay at shortstop. Didn't seem like there was much power. Um, yeah, I, I just thought he was a, a good player who was kind of a floor guy. We, we had Volpe ranked 63rd on our list, and we had Gunnar Henderson 27th. And, and Henderson was, I think, less famous. Volpe had played for USA Baseball. He was on the same team with Jack Leiter. He, he was a little more famous in showcase circles. But Henderson had better tools. I mean, he, he was a, 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 a in, like it, it wasn't Alabama, the full state, but the in, Alabama independent high school basketball player of the year. He was athletic. You could look at him. You know, I, I think with any bigger guy, you always wonder, is he going to stay short? But you could easily project him to have solid tools across the board, especially if you if you moved him over to third base. So, you know, he, you know Volpe's breakout was was louder. Uh, obviously last year because he was our pipeline hitter of the year. And, you know, both Jonathan and I know Orioles farm director Matt Blood really well, and I'd worked with that at Baseball America. And Matt had even during the pandemic been telling us, you guys need to get Gunnar Henderson on your list. And while Gunnar did have a nice breakout, it did kind of level off in high A last year. You know, he hit right. 230. There, there was more swing and miss. He struck out 87 times in 65 games got up to double A for five games also at the end of the year. So I know coming into this year, there was a little bit of, is Gunner for real? You know, like, like how's he going to settle in? You know, the swing and miss was kind of, you know, a little bit alarming. And then this year, you know, he's, you know, started the year in double A, went to triple A, he's controlled the strike zone really well. And, and, I, and I'll throw a question out to you guys. At this point, like just, we're just talking pure hitting ability, just ability to put the bat on the ball hit for average, who's the best hitter out of those three guy, three position players at the top of the list, Alvarez, Carroll, mm. or Henderson? I, I think it's Gunnar Henderson. Interesting. Interesting. I, I might, I think it's, I think it would, it would be Carroll or Henderson. Um, you know, the strikeout rate has gone up a little bit with the move to AAA, but he's drawing so many walks. Uh, and he's, you know, he, he he's just such a, athletic freak in a lot of ways i just you know i don't know if he'll if, if he'll play shortstop you know long term but i do think he can play shortstop in the big leagues uh i think third base is probably better but and then he wants to play shortstop he's happy to play third but you know he 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 wants to show that he can be a shortstop um you know, and it may be the kind of situation like Manny Machado, you know, sure you could play shortstop and you move him to third because there's someone who's a better defender, but he does everything really well. And I think the tools were very loud as, as, uh, as Jim said, and yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's oversee doing the Orioles list. Joe Trezza done the, uh, you know, done, done the heavy, more, more heavy lifting, but it was really during, during the alternate site, we, I kept hearing about, how good Gunnar Henderson looked as the youngest player there and his tools were, were playing. And that's, I think been the biggest jump forward this year is, you know, last year he made the moves up and, and when he moved to high a, some of the holes got a little bit more exposed and he got clearly got to work in filling those holes in. And you haven't seen them this year, even with the move to triple a, 
Uh, he's become a much more complete player, more polished player. And that's allowed him to, to get to and use those tools on a much more consistent basis, which is why he's in this conversation at all. Okay, let's uh, move on to the number five player on this list, which is Gabriel Moreno. Obviously saw him in the big leagues a little bit this year. Certainly didn't embarrass himself by any means at 276, but only one extra base hit. Uh, had an OPS of 596 in a obviously small sample size, 18 major league games. But even a AAA, 760 OPS, has only two home runs this year, only one extra base hit in his past 10 games. Is the power going to come, or is this kind of what he is, and you you take what you get with the excellent defense and the bats ball skills? Yeah, I, I, I'm concerned about the power. I mean, he hits an awful lot of ground balls. Um, he doesn't launch the ball in the air very much. You know, in the big leagues, he didn't really pull the ball at all. I mean, he has in the minors, so I think that might have just been more getting acclimated. But he has been, as good as he is, pretty ground ball heavy. I like Gabriel Moreno. I'm starting to wonder if he might max out. Like, like he's a very talented hitter, so he can make an adjustment. Um, he's very athletic. Be, he's going to be a good catcher. He can play a variety of positions, so he's going to have value. I... I probably in the low man among those of us, you know, me, Jonathan, Sam, who vote on the top 100, because I, I think he might be a guy who maxes out at 12 to 15 homers a year. Um, and while I think that he could still be a very good big league player, I, I, I have other players I like more than him because I do have concerns about the power. I mean, he's 22, right? I mean, there's time for that power to come. Uh, it, it, it may take some shifting uh, of his his setup at the plate and approach of strength there. Like, I, I think he just hasn't learned to tap into it now. He's not going to hit for Francisco Alvarez kind of power. Um, but I, I think that there's going to be a little more to come. And, you know, and, that, and I think that's the sort of deciding factor because the other, the other parts of his game will play just fine. And, you know, and even in that small sample size he showed, right? I think he's going to hit and he's going to catch well. And then the power is going to determine, is he a solid big league regular or is he an all-star who deserves to be, you know, deserve to be at the top of a, of a prospect list. And, and it's hard to totally project that. Yes, he's at the upper levels and he's touched the big leagues, but, you know, given his age, I don't think he's, he's done in terms of his, his development in that regard. And I think there could be more to come. Okay. Uh, we said we'd break down five to 10 of these guys and based on, the time here will cap it at five and we will move on to the mailbag where we have a question from Zachary Ryman at Z-R-I-E-M-A-N-O-9 on Twitter, who says, asks, with all of the highly regarded shortstops in the Reds organization, which one do you see as their future shortstop and what position do you think some of the others get moved to? So... Looking at the Reds list, the recently added Noel V. Marte is their number one prospect, shortstop. Uh, he fit in just ahead of number two, Ellie De La Cruz, one of the, I think, hottest names in the prospect world right now, uh, who's listed on our, our list as third base shortstop. Number three is Matt McClain, another shortstop. Uh, number four, left-handed pitcher Brandon Williamson, but then number five, another recently uh, recent addition in that 
Mariners trade along with Noelvi Marte is Edwin Arroyo. So four of their top five players, uh, prospects, are shortstops. And then also uh, another young shortstop in the big leagues. Uh, how is this all going to play out? Yeah, and I guess, you know, you're not going to be able to play a, a team with four shortstops. But um, so Ellie De La Cruz, I think we'll flip around the position when we when we re-rank just because he's played a lot more shortstop. And I know that he is keen on showing everybody that he that he is a big league shortstop. Um, that said, I think Edwin Arroyo is the one who is the is the clear cut leader, at least as of right now, in terms of who who will play shortstop, mostly because of he's just he's a he's very advanced defensively, and he came into pro ball uh, as a as a guy who lacked strength, but he could play shortstop for a long time, and it's just a question of how much he was going to hit, and he's hit this year. He's clearly you know worked on his conditioning. He's added strength. He's impacting the baseball. Um, and that's, you know, why he's, uh, become a top 100 guy. Uh, you know, he, he's going to make a nice jump up in our re-rank. Well, I'm not giving away too much there. I don't think. And for me, he is the guy who, uh, is the long-term shortstop. So, you know, not looking at big league personnel, if I were to place the other guys, I think, He's the shortstop. I think I put De La Cruz at third. And I think Marte ends up in the outfield. That's just my guess. But he may play second base. I'm, I'm going to go with... Did you put McLean anywhere? Shoot, yeah. McLean's at so second base. Of friend of the podcast. Yeah, McLean's at him. second base. Um, and then, uh, then Marte definitely goes to the outfield. Go ahead. Okay, well, I was going to say, I, I agree. I think... I mean, I do like if he hits, which is a quite, it's weird. It's a question, but they also haven't given Jose Barrero a lot of big league at bats. It's been 135 at bats. He's not old. Parts of three seasons. Um, So hopefully we'll, we'll find out if he can hit. So I I think if, I think if Barrero can hit enough, he's such a good defender. He'll be the shortstop. But if we, if we just look at the guys on the prospect list, I agree that Edwin Arroyo is the best defensive shortstop of them all. I would. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to put Noel V. Marte at third. I'm going to sure. put Matt McLean at second, and I'm going to let Ellie De La Cruz run around center field and and make take advantage of his athleticism in that regard. And and and, and that would still leave room in case anybody's like, well, what about Cam Collier, who's not a shortstop, the recent first round pick? I think Cam Collier winds up at first base to complete my my Reds infield of the future. Uh, and you know, we can figure out, you know, Victor Acosta is just 18 years old. So we have plenty we have of time, time. figure Spencer, out where... Spencer steer. He's not really a shortstop though. No, no, but neither is Cam Collier. And you mentioned no, him. So I, but I, I was, was talking about the outfield of the future, but I was looking at our shortstop prospect. Yeah. No, Spencer steer is going to be your offensive minded utility guy who bounces around the infield. But I think that's fair. I mean, Marte is a plus runner too, by the way, he's not quite the ridiculous athlete that De La Cruz clearly is, but. Uh, I know the Mariners gave some thought to letting him run around in center field before, you know, before the trade, uh, if shortstop wasn't going to work. But and you know, and they also have, I mean, you can't play all these guys. Jose Torres was one of the best college shortstops in last year's draft. They've got a, a young kid, Ricardo Cabrera, who is just 17 years old, who they signed in January for 2.7 million dollars. He's supposed to be a spectacular fielder. So, so I, I think the definite answer here is that the Reds 
should not be lacking for shortstop <laughs> candidates because they have plenty of them. Currently have a prospect darling of last year, Jose Barrero, up there as well. So this is this seems like a good problem to have. All right. Thanks to Zachary for that question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.